the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. But I think what God was saying in a broader sense was, Saturate your home with scripture. Make sure that you're talking to your kids just as you do life, as you walk along the road, as you get up in the morning, as you go to bed at night. Always talk about the Lord in the context of life. Always be instilling scripture and biblical principles in your home. And by the way, live it out because the best thing for your kids is for them to see it in your life. And when it's hypocritical in your life, it'll damage them. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary's current message series is Answers to the Questions You Thought We Missed. Today, Pastor Gary continues answering questions regarding lifestyle choices and how they relate to the teachings of the Bible. He will cover questions ranging from gambling, drinking, sexuality, and parenting. Parenting today can be tough. Even when you do everything right, a child may not choose to follow God. Pastor Gary encourages us to constantly be talking to our children about God. Not only should parents be instilling biblical principles in their children's life, but parents must also live it out in their own life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message, Lifestyles and the Bible. a guy many, many years ago, doesn't go to Cornerstone, it was when I was a youth pastor many years ago before I became pastor here, who was married, divorced his wife, remarried, and had three daughters. Then he divorced that wife and went back to his first wife. And he was a Christian. And he said to me, I should never have divorced my first wife, so that's why I'm divorcing my second wife, leaving my, I'm just telling you, and leaving my daughters and, and my second, and going back to my f- first wife. I said to him, he carried a weapon too, so I, I had to be very gentle. I said to him, news bulletin, you may have done the wrong thing in leaving your first wife, but this is God's will for you now. You're in another marriage with three beautiful daughters, and you have to commit yourself right here, right now. You, we can't go back and undo and think, well, if I just undo what I did wrong, then I can make it right. 
when you find yourself in the situation you're in, you have to, to seek God for that now. And don't beat yourself up over, well, I should have done this and I should have done that. And I, maybe I need to go back to this person. It gets so complicated. You just need to say, okay, this is where I am now. This is what I've come to learn now. And this is where I have to honor God now. And so it's about, you know, seeking holiness, not always about happiness. All right. Maybe you'll text in some questions that I didn't do so well on that, but let me move on to some other questions. This has to do with lifestyles, just, you know, how to conduct yourself. We'll take this after that. Uh, What does the Bible say about tattoos? I get this question every year. There's one verse in the Bible that talks about it, and this is the verse that people want to know. It's Leviticus 19.28. It's the only time the word tattoos mentioned in the Bible, but it's only in the NIV. And it says this, Leviticus 19.28, Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Now, King James verse says, You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. So that verse does not apply to the modern tattoos that people get today. The tattoos and the cutting that the Canaanite people did back in those days is what God said to his people, I don't want you to be like the Canaanite people. They would cut themselves and they would put marks on their bodies, and I.B. says tattoo, to, as a mourning process for the dead. That's what pagan Canaanite people did. The bottom line was God was saying, don't be like the Canaanite pagan people who are honoring the dead and mourning their dead in this way. So unless you're getting all tatted up because you're honoring the dead, that verse doesn't apply. I understand people put tattoos in memory of a loved one. I don't mean it in that sense. The Canaanite sense was this was a ritual in their sacrificial practices and in their ritualistic pagan ways that they would bury people. So it's different from the reason that people get tattoos today. I think it just comes down to personal preference. I don't think it's a dishonoring thing it, as long as you feel like that, um, you know, you're not convicted by it. I think it's one of those things where, you know, everything is permissible, not everything's beneficial, and you just have to decide for yourself, is this a beneficial thing and a permissible thing for you? I always do kind of wonder, this is just me, I just always wonder, like, you know, what that, the image of that person or what those words are going to say when you turn 80 and your skin's all sag now, you know, but that's just me. What does the Bible say about interracial marriage? In Numbers chapter 12, God gets angry with the brother and sister of Moses. Because it tells us in Numbers 12, 9, that God got angry. And why? Numbers 12, 1 says that Miriam and Aaron, the sister and brother of Moses, complained about Moses' Cushite wife. Now, Cush is Ethiopia. So Moses had an Ethiopian wife, and his brother and his sister were mad about it. And God got angry at the brother and sister over that. So much so that Miriam, he made leprous. She had leprosy. And then Moses cries out on behalf of his sister. This is the Hamrick paraphrase. God said, she'll be all right. Just put her outside of the camp for seven days. She'll be okay. I just wanted to scare her. <laughs> but Acts 10, 34 and 35 says, Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Revelation 5, 9 says, And with your blood, Jesus, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. There's no problem with interracial marriage. The only problem that God has is intermarrying believers with non-believers. 
That's what you see through the Bible when he talks about his people separating from pagan people. That's God's only concern about marriage in that regard. Uh, but racially, God accepts all people from all nations, all tribes, all languages, and interracial marriage is not an issue. Now, it might be a cultural problem that you will encounter if people don't accept your interracial marriage. And obviously, we still live in a world where there's still plenty of racism and still plenty of people who are bigoted in that sense. And so you might have difficulties in the way some people, unfortunately, will receive you, but there's nothing in God's word that prohibits interracial marriage. People had a lot of questions about parenting. Three questions real quickly. How on earth do you raise God-seeking, loving, following children in our society today? Here's another. There are so many books about parenting and schooling choices. Which would you recommend? And what are good passages in the Bible to help give wisdom in raising unruly children? I'm no parent expert. I would just recommend a few things. Pray a lot. Prayer works. Pray a lot. Make family devotions a regular part of your family life. Um, you know, Terry was wonderful about, about at dinner time. That was the time where, you know, we pulled out the Bible, and she often was the one who's, let's have family devotions. And, you know, when your kids are really little, the goal is maybe we can get through family devotions without anybody bleeding. You know, that's the, that's the first goal is just maybe they'll just sit here and listen long enough. It can become a fun family time at, uh, after dinner just to have some devotions together, pray together. And, you know, I just say live and love close. You know, keep your kids close to you. Make sure that they bond with you and you with them because to the degree that they are bonded with you and, of course, supremely bonded to the Lord, they will be less likely to be interested in the ways of the world. It is difficult. You just really need to seek the Lord and pray a lot. Um, You can do the best you can and still some kids go off the rails and you've done nothing wrong and some parents don't try very well at all and their kids grow up to be God-fearing, loving people. So, you know, sometimes it's just outside of our control. There's no one formula for it. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9 is a passage that always spoke to me when we were raising our kids. It it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, the Jews took that literally. So you have these mezuzahs on the door frames of homes with scripture verses on the inside. But I think what God was saying in a broader sense was saturate your home with scripture. Make sure that you're talking to your kids just as you do life, as you walk along the road, as you get up in the morning, as you go to bed at night. Always talk about the Lord in the context of life. Always be instilling scripture and biblical principles in your home. And by the way, live it out because the best thing for your kids is for them to see it in your life. And when it's hypocritical in your life, it'll damage them. So make sure that it's not just something that is taught, but it's something that is called. Uh, But again, pray a lot because it's not an easy thing, especially in these days. Some books that I'd recommend, talk to a couple of the guys on staff. They recommend Emerson Egriches, who was here this past fall. He wrote a book called Love and Respect in the Family. That's Emerson Egrich, Love and Respect in the Family. Uh, John Roseman wrote a book called Parenting by the Book. Andreas Kassenberger wrote a book, God, Marriage, and Family, Rebuilding the Biblical Foundation. As a college student in public university, this is another question. How can I stay true to the teachings of God, specifically maintaining that homosexuality is a sin without labeling me a bigot? I had many, many questions about homosexuality 
and even a few questions about transgender. So let me try to move through this as carefully as I can. Uh, So this college student is asking, you know, I want to be true to what God says about homosexuality, but I don't want people to label me a bigot. Uh, First of all, the person who wrote the question correctly identifies that the Bible does speak of homosexuality as a sin in several different places in the Bible. It's not just an Old Testament thing, you know, Genesis 18, 19, Sodom and Gomorrah. Romans chapter 1 calls homosexuality indecent, unnatural, and a perversion. Again, in speaking about it by definition, it doesn't mean that we don't love homosexuals, because we do. And we need to be very careful in how we always present the truth seasoned with grace. One of the, I think one of the best things we can do is just love people who are homosexuals. I mean, just demonstrate genuine love. Genuine, non-sexual, Christian, compassionate love. I think that goes a long way to demonstrate Christ to people. This person's question, though, is how can I stand for the truth and my principles without being labeled a bigot? That part is probably going to be unavoidable. And Jesus even said, you know, that we would be persecuted when we identify with him. And so some of that is unavoidable. Just because you are principled and just because you stand on what you believe to be the truth of God's word, there will just be simply people who who don't like you. It's really interesting in our culture how... Tolerance is preached, but it's not always practiced. And it's not always practiced among Christians, for sure, but it's also equally sometimes not practiced among those who look at Christians. They aren't very tolerant of our views concerning subjects like this. Along these lines, somebody asks this. Many people say that gender and sexuality are not a choice, that this is how God made them. How can one counter that without making the person feel attacked or hated by the church? Again, this is a very complex issue. Gender and sexuality are not a choice within the purview of how God made us. It's pretty clear in Genesis 127, God made us male and female. And then the first union we see is a heterosexual union. Um, and so God made us male and female. First union is heterosexual. We see the model. We see God's design from the beginning. When we step out of that design, we are technically making a choice. However, anybody who is in a different lifestyle besides God's original design will never tell you that it is a choice. I'm speaking technically, but in terms of feelings, people don't feel that they are choosing. They feel this is the way that they are wired. So I want to, just in addressing this, I want to quote a few sources and a few people because I think that some of them are certainly more able to comment on this because of the lifestyle that they've come out of and how they've struggled themselves. But first I want to quote from the American Psychological Association on the issue of, aren't we just born this way? This is the American Psychological Association, certainly not a Christian organization, all right, just the APA. They say this, quote, there is no consensus among scientists about the exact reason that an individual develops a heterosexual, bisexual, gay, or lesbian orientation, although much research has examined the possible genetic, hormonal, developmental, social, and cultural influences on sexual orientation. No findings have emerged that permit scientists to conclude that sexual orientation is determined by any particular factor or factors. Many think that nature and nurture both play complex roles, end quote. There's truth to that. Nature would include genetic, hormonal, biological influences, which mostly occur before birth. Nurture includes psychological, sociological, cultural, and developmental influences that mostly mostly occur after birth. So 
nature and nurture may both play some role in same-sex attraction or gender identity issues. In that sense, there may be a biological contributing force. That is not the same, or factor, that is not the same as saying that one is born homosexual or not, only in the sense that, again, because homosexuality is outside of the design of God's original intent, that the Bible says we are all born in sin. The Bible says in Psalm 51, 5, David says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So let's move just for a moment away from the topic of sexuality. And let me just put it in this terminology. Was I born a liar? Yes. Does one struggle with lying? Yes. So is that nurture or nature? Yes. Because you have two things working. You have original sin and you have indwelling sin. And because all of us have original sin, we are born with certain propensities and certain tendencies. So in in that sense, because we're all born with original sin, there is a biological factor. That doesn't mean we are born a certain way. That just means there's a contributing factor because of our original sin nature. And then all of us are exposed to different things, and thus then we have indwelling sin issues. So what we must always be asking ourselves are two questions. How has original sin distorted me? And how does indwelling sin manipulate me? Because all of us have that issue on various levels of sin. I'm not just talking about sexual issues. All kinds of sin. Original sin and indwelling sin means we have to be asking and searching our hearts daily that we are following the Lord. Now let me quote for you Dr. Christopher Ewan who is a Chinese-American, open homosexual, agnostic, drug dealer. Then he gets saved, becomes a Bible-affirming Christian scholar and professor. He's the author of a book. If some of you are struggling with this issue or know friends who are struggling with this issue, his book is called Out of a Far Country. Again, it's Dr. Christopher Ewan. You can YouTube him and watch many interviews I'd recommend you checking out his, some of his YouTube interviews. This is what Dr. Christopher Ewan said. Now he has come out of the homosexual movement. He's also HIV positive, by the way. And he writes, quote, Now let's take a look at the heart of the issue. Some claim that people are born gay in order to justify moral permissiveness. If I was born this way, I, it can't be wrong, some say. However, there are many inherent impulses I've had, he writes, as long as I can remember that I never choose, nor did I ever ask for parenthesis, selfishness, jealousy, pride, etc. But this doesn't justify their moral permissiveness. He says, I believe that people can be born with a propensity or a predisposition for homosexuality or any other sin for that matter. Sin may have biological influences. He says, having a biological aspect of sin certainly doesn't make it permissible, nor does it make it determinative. We are all born with a sinful human nature. And then he quotes Psalm 51.5. And of course, a comparison to this whole matter of Are we born this way? They've done many studies on alcoholism, too. Some people are genetically predisposed. There is a biological component, but it doesn't mean, therefore, that it defines you, that it is predeterminative of your life, and uh, neither does it mean that you should just indulge in alcoholism because you might come from a family that is predisposed to it. Another good book that I recommend to you, you can also YouTube her. She's done many interviews 
is a book called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert by Dr. Rosario Butterfield. She's a former professor of English literature at Syracuse University. She talks very openly about her lesbian lifestyle and that how a pastor befriended her, did Bible studies with her, and just loved her into the kingdom. She came to faith in Christ, and now she speaks about her transformed life in Christ. So I'd recommend uh, her as a resource too, Dr. Rosario Butterfield. Let me quickly get through some of these other questions. As Christians, how can we love our gay friends without making them feel hated by God and the church or inadvertently condoning their lifestyle? Listen, again, show them love. We're not trying to address people's sexual orientation. As Christians, we want to address people's soul orientation. Everybody understand that? It's not like we need to go after certain people because of their sin issues and target the issues. The issue that is similar to all of us is we have a sinful soul that needs forgiveness and needs relationship with Christ. We don't go after people to, to try to convert their sexual orientation. We try to go after them to share the love of Jesus, and Jesus can transform the soul, and in doing that... He can transform and change someone's sexual orientation. What is our position on church's position on gay marriage? We, even though the United States has recognized it, we don't. We won't marry uh, two people of the same sex. It's against our biblical values and a doctrine. We don't recognize it. Does our church welcome homosexuals? Absolutely. And we need to be open to anybody. You know, listen, this isn't always just about, even though this is the topic at hand, it's not just... People in homosexual sin. There's plenty of people in heterosexual sin. (laughs) Heterosexual sinners and homosexual sinners need Christ in the same way. It's a soul issue. And so, of course, they're welcome. And we trust that Christ will move in their hearts in a loving and wonderful, transforming way, too. People are asking questions about transgender. Look, again, love and accept them. As a church, we affirm God's original design of male and female. God has uniquely knit us together. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. David talks about how you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Surely I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. So therefore, we honor the sexual identity that God has given us. And so that's where we find our identities in the Lord. But we have to love people who are in gender confusion and gender identity. And again, try to show Christ. We're living in a very complex world today. It's become very gender neutral. It's become very confusing. We have to just stand for truth and present it in love. Is it a sin to get drunk? Yes, Ephesians 5.18. People are asking, do I, should I confront my family members about excessive drinking, or should I just let the Holy Spirit take care of it? If something's potentially damaging to a family member, sure, confront it. I'm a vegan. <laughs> I have debates about eating meat. Are we free to eat Meat are just vegetables and fruits, as I mentioned in the beginning. Genesis 9, 2, and 3, after the flood, the Bible says that God gave us permission. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants. I now give you everything. Praise God. But, but, but listen, if, if you want a vegan burger versus, you know, a real beef patty, I personally think it's boring, but it's probably healthier for you. And so it's a choice. It's a choice, honestly, but it's not a biblical mandate to stay. What does the Bible say about gambling? The Bible doesn't specifically address, you know, gambling, obviously, but it does address the love of money, that we shouldn't love money. Uh, Proverbs thirteen eleven warns about getting rich quick, and gambling can be addicting. Two million Americans are addicted to gambling, and 20% of Americans 
admit that gambling interferes with work or relationships. So I'm not a fan at all. I know some of you are like, hey, is it okay to play the lotto? If you win, just tithe. That's all I have to say. I, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. I, I think it's foolishness. I think it's uh, a wasteful a way to use money that God has entrusted to your care. And so I think gambling is a dangerous thing. It just leads to, I've seen wrecked marriages, I've seen addiction, I've seen bad things come out of it. So I don't think it's a good thing to do. Thanks for being a part of Pastor Gary Hamrick's study on Cornerstone Connection. Would you like to learn more about our ministry? If so, please visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you can read about Pastor Gary's heart for sharing the gospel message with the world, as well as listen to past messages he shared. We also have companion resources located under the Teachings tab. These digital study guides are designed to accompany the message series you'll find in the audio library. And we hope they'll shed some new light on familiar passages of the Scripture. Are you in the Leesburg area? If so, we want to meet you. Pastor Gary serves as pastor of Cornerstone Chapel, and he'd love to shake your hand and hear your story of Jesus stepping into your life. Come by our services on Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. to hear from the Bible and spend time in prayer and worship. Or join us Wednesday at 7 p.m. for an in-depth time of Bible study. Find directions and more information about all that's available at Cornerstone Chapel at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you can't join us in person, we'd still love to include you in our virtual church family. Watch our services live through our stream. You'll find a link under the Teachings tab. Thanks for tuning in today for Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul. Got no place to go, but still you know, you're not Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.